Abba Yahweh, again, you raised me up to be your conduit to bless other people with the blessing of your truth, your knowledge, your wisdom, to share the gospel of you in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to be in your treasury, for this opportunity, and for them that have an ear to hear your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom. <clears throat> and to open their eyes with spiritual eyesight, <clears throat> and not to seek offense. Seek offense, and ye shall surely find offense. Seek ye the truth, and you shall find the truth. <clears throat> seek the truth in the word. Seek the truth in the word of God, Father. You have told me that. You've told us that so many times. You're always telling us, look for you. You will be found. And so many seek offense and to be offended by many things. Father God, give us boldness, courage, uprightness to stand fast and hold on to your truth, your knowledge, and your wisdom, Father God. Thank you for this day. Abba Yahweh Aman, Yeshua Aman, Parakletos Aman. Well, yeah, we're going to get it little bit redundant today because I'm just reminding you the Holy Spirit was showing me some things that that um, so many people look to be offended by so many things. They look to be offended. And if you look to be offended, you shall surely find something to be offended by. Offended by the way somebody might look, the perfume they wear, the clothes they wear, the way they talk, the, the tonation of their skin. Oh my gosh. But here's something that you must understand. Look to understand that the enemy <clears throat> is utilizing his minions. And his minions include live persons that are moving on this plane of existence that have decided that they don't want to believe in God and that they think that, um, and they, they're not satanic worshipers. They're not Satan worshipers. They don't go to the church of Satan, but they just choose to ignore God and lead their life any way they want. And the white noise interference that the enemy feeds to them, they choose to listen to that rather than the Holy Spirit and the word of God. And they then are used by Satan to deliver different things that he wants delivered on this plane of existence. And there may be unwilling, and then there are those that are perfectly fine with doing that thing. This happened also, and, and here this, <clears throat> this, pardon me, this goes back into the relevancy of the Bible because that very thing that occurred at the time that Jesus Christ was being betrayed and his trying to talk to the Sanhedrin and so forth and so on, it is happening the same today. The only difference with what's, how it's occurring today is that we have social media, <laughs> social media, that's an oxymoron because Social media would denote that you're able to gather and share and, and do things. However, I have found that there is a whole lot of bullying that goes on 
and social media. There's a lot of trolling that goes on. For those of you that are unfamiliar with trolls, trolls are individuals that <clears throat> will get onto social media and they draw individuals into argument about an opinion. An opinion is not a fact. It is a stated perspective that one person has in a particular instance. It doesn't make it factual. However, there are some opinions that can be based on factual information and evidence, and it makes that stand and that opinion more powerful. It still doesn't make it a fact. It makes it an a look from a perspective, and perspectives change everywhere you go around. If you go in a circle and you look at an object, and then you go around another portion, you look at an object, you go around another portion, you look at another object, and you'll see things differently. This is why we have to look for those higher plane. Look for that higher plane and look through the perspective that God has. I've shared this with you. When I was in an airplane and flying, I don't know how high I was. They always want to tell you how high you are. Why do they do that? <laughs> do I want to know that if something goes on that I'm going to plummet 40,000 feet or 38,000 feet or whatever? I don't want to know that. Just fly the airplane, leave me alone. <laughs> but you look out the window and you can't see all these deep valleys and all these things. When you look out at a distance, everything looks flat. The only thing that sticks up is maybe a really high mountain and then it doesn't look like a mountain. It looks like a, a hill. Um, you, If you look through someone else's eyes, a perspective, the opinion does not become that important. However, trolls really, really push this <coughs> to an extreme level of, um, well, you can call it cyberbullying. And I mean, you have had, <laughs> you don't hear about this much anymore. You don't hear about much anymore uh, about reality. Uh, what you hear mostly is fabrication and not true. You hear about the children that have died and committed suicide because of cyberbullying. They get on and people text mean messages to them. And they're not supposed to be in a particular place anyway, so they're afraid to tell mom and dad, and they don't. And they succumb to the cyberbullying because they believe it to be truth. And this person is po quite possibly never even met the child, never even met the boy and girl but have just read their text and they have nothing better to do because their life is full of misery and they have no friends, they have nobody they hang out with at school and they may claim to choose to be that way. There are adults that do the same thing. Malware, hate messages, cyberbullying, and that's the only difference between the time that Jesus walked and the time that we're walking, it's just the technology and that things can get around faster. But brothers and sisters, this stuff continues and it's no different. No different. And also I would like to rebuke anybody that preaches that God does not share his 
gifts and blessings with us anymore because we don't need them. What? You don't need God anymore? What? That you've reached the plane of existence with technology that your little thing, whatever, electronic, you plug into the wall, laptop, you fold in half and you take there and it's got all the files for work and all that stuff that you got to do and all those things that you need to do is more important than God. And you don't need God anymore because you can get word back and forth and all that and you can look up the Bible. Well, la-di-da-da. Still looking up the word of God, whether you do it electronically or you do it with a physical page. I like the pages, and I've shared that with you before. When I get down in a dumpster, I'll take that Bible and I fold the, I fold the covers on either side of my face and, and I close my eyes and I can see God has got my face in his hands. And he kisses me on the forehead, much the way my earthly father or mother used to do if I fell and I was hurting. They would do that very thing. Hold my cheeks and one in each hand, kiss me on the forehead and push my face back and smile and say, it's okay. It's okay. It'll be okay. God does the same thing. Does your little laptop, what do you fold that thing around your face? Palm held smarter than us telephones, supposedly. And you do that with them? Uh, it's a tool. It's a device. And if the device is used improperly and we don't claim authority that we have been given, that the prince of the air will infiltrate and try to steer us. His minions will try to steer us in the wrong direction. <clears throat> so, but here's something that's really important that we need to do. And I'm going to start in the to and the fro, the rule of faith. <coughs> We're going to talk about standing upright, bold, courageous, and staying true. I am sharing Daniel, Hananiah, Ansariah, and Mishael. Which, incidentally, I'll remind you again, those are their Hebrew names. And you, you might have sung a little song in school about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego thrown in the furnace, and away they go. Well, the song is, and now that I know this, I'm, I'm taken aback that someone biblically knowledgeable didn't research this, but those names were given to them by the Babylonian king, and those were names honoring their Babylonian gods, which were many. They were false gods, false idols. And he called it Daniel Belteshazzar. And they, all of them, rebuked those names. And they said, ah, we'll keep our Hebrew names, thank you. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Bold and upright, but... The study and the reading that I've, I've gotten to has to do with something that we get caught up in quite often. And sometimes I find myself getting into it and um, I have to really just grab onto the Word and, and have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's a wonderful guide. The strength of the Lord is shown over and over and over again to me through that. So I shared with you about you know, having faith in certain things. And, and part of my reading is her confidence. 
that we instill in, in a, a particular person that uh, does good service repair. And um, when they take care of our cars and, and the things that we need to have done, we, we have confidence in them. And the more they show that, the more confidence we have in them. So I have confidence in my Lord God and what he shows me constantly. And great is his faithfulness. And new mercies I see that morning by morning, new mercies I see. There's a song. It is a song. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. He is faithful. Do I deserve it? No, but he loves me. Am I perfect? No, but he loves me. Am I doing my father's business? I try so hard, and he loves me. God does not expect any one of us to be perfect. He knows that we are not perfect. He doesn't want our perfection. He wants us to come to him as we are. And this is why it's also important, brothers and sisters, that we don't come before God with self-pity and wallowing in that festy, nasty, fetid swamp and bog because there's quicksand and it drags down. So then when you start talking about, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. Gosh, I wish I could do that in the church. You start on that. And as my reading was sharing, as I was reading this morning, and and uh, when you get too close into that, the edge of that bog starts to crumble away. It's really, really nasty. And you fall in and then you start wallowing around. You sink deeper and deeper and deeper. Satan loves that. And it's harder to get out. And what you need to do to protect yourself is just to stay occupied and praise to God, praying to God, focusing on God. And, you know, the closer that you walk with God, it doesn't make that place, that that bog of self-pity and, and uh, unworthiness and self-doubt and self-contempt and the things that Satan loves to dump on you. Because when you do something that is uh, a failure in something, it doesn't make you a failure. It just makes that thing a failure because you didn't complete it the way you were supposed to do it. That's all. You just failed in that instance. That does not make you a failure. But Satan loves to dump that on our heads. And then we start the self-loathing, the self-doubt, the self pity and uh, then you have uh, uh, you have a pity party oh I'm not gonna go to church I didn't you know Thursday I, I messed up really bad and I haven't been I haven't felt like reading the word and I haven't prayed since Thursday and you know I, I'm just not gonna go to church no thanks for calling and asking though but I'm, I'm not gonna go and then what do you do you dump and sling some of that mud on somebody else, and then before you know it, and it happens this way, before you know it, it kind of sinks into them, and they start wondering about what's going on and what happened, and then they start looking at things and contemplating, and then all of a sudden, it's an infectious thing. Most of what Satan throws our way is that works that way. It's infectious. Stop it. 
focus on God, focus on the word, focus on the light. Live in the light, <coughs> pardon me, of my presence by fixing your eyes on me. Then you will be able to run with endurance the race that is set before you without stumbling or falling. <clears throat> That's from the book of Hebrews. And Paul actually uses that terminology in several different places. But brothers and sisters, we are in a race. We are also in a spiritual warfare. And it can be difficult to run with the armor of God, but God made that armor so that we could run. It's not so cumbersome. It's made to withstand the slings and the arrows and those things that are thrown at us. But we have to have that armor of God on all the time. The Bible tells us to do that. So for those of that are out there that talk about, you know, just sit back and God's got it and we are victorious and this and that. And we, we don't have to have any kind of, we don't have to be involved in any, but the Holy Spirit is going to tell you what battle that you're going to need to take part in. Okay. Here's part of that spiritual battle. I'm going to share with you from the book of Matthew and we're going into uh, chapter 26. Jesus Christ was in the garden of Gethsemane and he had his, had some of his disciples with him. And it says here, Jesus Christ is talking to his disciples. <clears throat> and we go into verse 38. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. So he just asked them to, to stay. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. What does that translate? Jesus Christ is asking God to not let him be crucified. You have to remember something here, and this is what people just, they, they totally don't get the word of God at times. And they, they, they believe that Jesus Christ was walking around this earth floating six to eight inches above the ground and just touching blessing, um, healing, and all these sort of things and nothing ever bothered him. And what about those days where he left the disciples? He was gone sometimes two and three days at a time. He was out there in the world by himself, <clears throat> meeting and greeting people. And as a craftsman, he was helping people. This is what Jesus Christ is about. <clears throat> Pardon me. He is about that. He is about people. He is about the love that he has. And he wasn't over wandering around thinking and contemplating on what was going to happen to him because he knew, he knew, he knew because he agreed with God. But here's the other thing that you have to understand and realize Jesus Christ, and this is one of the mysteries of God, of which Jesus Christ is part of. He was 100% a man, 100% the son of God. And he came to this plane of existence so that he would be able to show a better report. That was the purpose, and that was for the agreement with God to come down and do this. Jesus Christ, while he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he did not ask, not once, not twice, but three times that God would take this cup from him, meaning that he didn't feel, he was, he was, he was afraid. He was afraid of being crucified. However, each and every time he said, not my will, but your will be done. And this was the time when he was with the disciples and he came back and found them sleeping. 
And when he also spoke to Peter, you couldn't even watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then he left and went and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Take this cup from me. But he didn't waller in self-pity. He didn't hang on the cross and holler down at the Sanhedrin that were down there milling around the cross and doing what they were doing and going into their thing. No. What did he do? What did he do? He looked down and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. No self-pity. He was there. He was doing what he was supposed to do, what honoring his heavenly father and doing what they agreed that he would do. No self-pity there. None whatsoever. Now we're going to follow the rule of faith. We're going back to the Old Testament, which incidentally intertwines, interweaves, and speaks the truth, knowledge, and wisdom of the Lord God Almighty as it intertwines with those verses from the New Testament. We're going to go back to Daniel. I've shared with you about Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Zariah, all Hebrews, taken captive by the Babylonian king and his hordes when they were, I think Daniel was 14, I think Daniel was the oldest. He was 14 when they were taken into captivity. When Daniel died, he died in Babylon and he was almost 90 years old. And remember that um, according to the word of the prophets that Israel would stay captive for 70, seven euro, seven zero years, 70 years, and they did so. So Daniel was 14 when they went into captivity. The math shows that he was nearly 90 years old and he stayed in Babylon and then passed away. He felt too old to to go on and and he had a place in Babylon. And actually, they treated him well. So let's go back. This is the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus Christ. So they didn't waller in self-pity. Instead, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Anzariah, they prayed. They prayed three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. And they were facing Jerusalem. And they would pray because they were far from their home. And they prayed to God, Hashem, Lord God Almighty. Remember, they called him that. Lord God, Hashem. However, 
Nebuchadnezzar, being the arrogant, self-centered person he was, he commanded and built this. He built a statue that was made of all these things, and he commanded that everyone was going to pray their dedication to him by praying to this image. And when the herald cried out for them to do so, they would all bow down and kneel down and they would worship this idol. And then they would lay down and they, you know, they do their, their worship thing. He had, he had this little orchestrated thing going on and, and then they would fall and worship this image. And if they don't, then those persons that did not would be thrown into the furnace. <clears throat> and <laughs> here's the thing, it, it, it's funny because, um, well, not funny, it's sad because it still happens now, is that then you had the Chaldeans, which... Uh, if you recall what I shared with you, Chaldeans at one time were really excellent. They were they were intelligent. They were highly skilled warriors, but they were specific in their uh, guerrilla warfare. They would hide, and and uh, there's actually a reference to the demons that Satan employs as Chaldeans. And um, for me, as my perspective, doesn't make it an absolute fact, but I think what the references to are those are the fallen angels that fell with Lucifer when he was kicked out. And that was his, I'm not even going to call him that. He doesn't even deserve that. Lucifer was what he was called when he was an archangel. And that means uh, heavenly star, star of heaven, angel of light, something. I can't remember it all. I can look it up and find out. But, um, the thing of it is, that was his heavenly name. So Satan, Beelzebub, fear, false evidence appearing real, those suit him more than being an angel of light, which incidentally, be cautious because he can manipulate that and become that and uh, disguise himself. And luckily, <laughs> Satan being the arrogant individual that he is, it... Uh, he doesn't think us worthy of his personal presence all the time. That's why he sends his minions. But anyway, let me digress back to this. So Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldeans who were offended at everything, they were upset because, first of all, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Anzari, they were taken into the court of the king. And they had kind of had to work their way up and all this stuff, but not Daniel. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, they were found to be of a good spirit, that the spirit of God was in them. So Nebuchadnezzar brought them in to his employ. He brought them in. Whereas the Chaldeans, they had to kind of prove themselves and work their way in and, and weasel their way into the favor of the king. So they were brought in there. So they were offended every time that Hananiah and, uh, and Daniel and, and the others, when they did something that wasn't appropriate, they would run until Nebuchadnezzar. And then what did they do? The little sniffers, they came in and uh, because Hananiah, Mishael, and Zerai, they weren't bowing down to the image when the ta-ta-da-da sounded off and his little snitches, they ran into him and they said, Oh, king, oh, great king, 
that thou live forever. But you know that you made a decree at the sounding of the horns and the trumpets and the little la ta da da that everybody fell and they were supposed to worship. Well, there are certain Jews that you set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You'll find this in verse 12. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But that is the Babylonian sacrilegious false idol names that they were given. Hananiah, Mishael, and Zariah are their Hebrew names. Not these other names that are mentioned here. So they went up and they told, yeah, well, there's certain ones that you brought in here and you put them over there. You And what they're really saying is you didn't put us over that. You put them over that, but they're not doing what you told them to do. So according to what you said, now you got to burn them. You got to throw them in the furnace. And they're not saying this outwardly, Tim, because of course, and they would be beheaded by daring to tell the king what he's supposed to do. But they were sure hinting at it real hard. So Nebuchadnezzar got all upset and he got mad. And then he asked him, he said, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the image which I put up there? And that you're ready at this time that you hear the sound of the trumpet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the pulsar, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, and you fall and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if you worship not, ye shall be cast into the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? And then according to... The scripture in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Meaning that they're just going to tell them the truth and they're not going to hide it from them as the Chaldeans do. And they're not going to mince words. They're going to tell them straight up. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. They were bold. They were courageous, but they didn't waller in self-pity, saying, Oh, yeah, it's true. We're sorry. We won't ever do it again. And then down there, we just don't want to burn up. We don't want to die. But they declared their faith and the strength in God who was with them. And they stood on that. Then Nebuchadnezzar, full of fury in the form of his vicious visage, was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was trying to maintain a calm demeanor and talking with them and counseling with them, trying to find out what they were about. And when they said, yeah, that's right. We're not going to worship your false idols and we're not going to bow down and worship the statue that you built for yourself. We're not going to do it. Yeah, you may throw us in a furnace, but we're still not going to do it. And our God may or may not deliver us, but we're still not going to do it. And if we are burned up, then that was the will of God. That's what they're telling him. And he also ordered that the heat of the furnace was seven times more than what it was supposed to be done. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. 
And so they took them, bound in their coats, their, their uh, everything that they had. Everything that they had on. And they threw them into the furnace, into the burning furnace. But therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So those guards, those mighty men that worked for Nebuchadnezzar and took Hananiah, Mishael, and Zariah and threw them into the furnace, the flame came out and killed them. And here is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. And he hollered out to his counselors. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste. That means he was astonished, he was confounded, he was bewildered, he, was, he didn't know what to think. And rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, a rhetorical question, by the way, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, oh yes, oh king, true, oh king, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. My goodness gracious. <laughs> And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like unto the Son of God. Jesus Christ appearing in the Old Testament scriptures. And as he also did with Joshua on the way down to the Valley of Jericho. And I share that with you because they did not waller in self-pity, roll around on the ground and beg that Nebuchadnezzar not throw them into the furnace. My next tale of non-self-pity continues in the Old Testament and wraps itself around Daniel. Daniel also had a case of events, but it did not happen with Nebuchadnezzar. He got he got a little trouble there, but mostly it was just um, he stood up and told the counselors where to go, and they went that way. But now Nebuchadnezzar has passed and died. And Darius, and I shared a little bit with you already that Darius had taken the gold vestment from the temple that was captured when Jerusalem fell and and they took everything out of the temple and and all that. So they started to, um, they used it and and his party goers that were up there drinking and carousing with him, uh, they wanted to drink from it, they wanted to eat from it, they wanted to do all those things. So they were doing that and um, that's when, and this is what the term actually means and has come to be a saying, an adage that, that we have developed. <clears throat> the writing is on the wall. <clears throat> People say that usually when somebody is talking about a business failing uh, or something personal. It's something, man, didn't you even see the writing on the wall? Which means that there was a clue that was telling him that something was coming. Well, for Darius, because 
he refused, he blasphemed God. He refused to take on God's counsel from Daniel and did basically their own thing. And and that this this thing happened. This was uh, this was with uh, Belshazzar. I'm sorry, I misspoke. I believe I mentioned Darius. Darius comes along, but Belshazzar, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, who didn't honor his father, he didn't honor anything at all except himself, and so he was partying and all this with him, and that um, also he didn't pay any attention to when Daniel was telling Nebuchadnezzar about the statue coming, crumbling, and falling, and he was explaining to him about the separation of the kingdom. Well, he didn't heed any of that, and he instead decided to party hardy and, and do what he wanted to do and listen to his his uh, fellow revelers, and they took all those things from the temple, and they were eating off of them. They were drinking their, their uh, heavy wine, through the goblets that were taken from the temple. And the writing on the wall came, Mene Mene Tekel of Farsen. Nobody could understand it. Nobody could read it. Why couldn't they read it? Because it was written by the hand of God. It was written on the wall. And you remember that the vision that he saw was that he could see the, the finger portion of the hand, but it was just that. It wasn't a person there. It was just that portion of the hand, and it was writing this on the wall. And so Belshazzar commanded that they go, and they bring Daniel, and that he tell them. And he did tell them. And he told them exactly what the word, the interpretation. And none of the none of the Chaldeans could do it. They couldn't understand the language. Why? Because it was heavenly written. So they couldn't get it. Of course they couldn't get it. But Daniel did. And Belshazzar, not Belteshazzar, Belshazzar. Belteshazzar was the name that they tried to give to Daniel, but he didn't do it. He didn't accept it. He didn't take it. He rebuked it instead. Not confrontationally, he just stood up and said, that's not my name. I will not accept a name of a false idol and a false god that you worship. I will stand on my name. But he got places of prominence. Why? Because God had his hand on him. At any rate, this is the interpretation, King. Many God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighted in the balances and art found wanting. Peres, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So then, as true to his word, then commanded Belshazzar that they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Interesting. 14 years old, came to Babylon with his brethren and they were all brought into employ into the palace for the king and came all the way up. And then the son of Nebuchadnezzar, his counselors and those wizards that worked for him, they couldn't even figure out what this translated to because it was heavenly writing. Daniel could. Daniel was the only one. So 
He put that robe on him. They hung that chain. The chain was just showing a sign of what Belshazzar commanded. That now Daniel went from a slave preteen, teenager, into the third and rule of the kingdom of Persia. That all those counselors and all those yahoos that were snitching and telling on him now had to report and answer to him. Didn't like that. That's where the offenses started. But that night, that night, Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, was slain. Hmm. Who may have done that? Who may have wanted the kingdom? You have the Medes and the Persians who then separated the kingdom of Babylon as Daniel foretold to Nebuchadnezzar and his son didn't listen. But the kingdom was split. Was it one of the Chaldeans that maybe got upset because he wasn't listening to them whenever they went to snitch Daniel off? He doesn't listen to us. He doesn't care anything about what we say. Well, he'll show him because the Medes and the Persians, they paid me good. Don't know. Speculation. But when Darius took over the kingdom, because he split this out over, I remember, that he set out princes who were going to be, basically they were going to be their governors. Remember I shared this with you, that Bible speak for kings and presidents, and then you have the princes. Those are Bible speak for governors. So he had all these regents that he was in the kingdom. And it says in the scripture, 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. 120 provinces, regents, they were the governors, 120 of them. And over these, these three presidents, Daniel was the first. There were three individuals that those 120 had to answer to. There were three. And over those three, Daniel was the first. So the princes had to give accounts to them so that there would be no harm or anything going on in the kingdom that the king didn't know about. They had to send messengers on a regular basis back to those three, and those other two answered to Daniel because he was he was the head guy now. And as we read chapter 6, verse 3, then this Daniel was preferred above the president and princes because an excellent spirit was in him and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. What was that excellent spirit? His faith in God unwavering that no matter what was coming at them, he would not waver. He would not step down in cowardice. He would not step aside in compromise. Well, okay, I'll just have a little bit of this food that you offer to your false idols and false God. I'll just have a little bit and it'll be okay. He didn't do that. 
He refused outwardly, and he told them that they would maintain their own way, their prayers, and their way, worshiping God Almighty, Hashem, Abba Yahweh, Father God and Heaven, Maker of all things made. That is where his faith lied. So that spirit was in him as it was in Hananiah, Mishael, and Ezra. As it was in all four of them, it was witnessed to be seen outwardly. It reflected what was inside reflected outwardly. So then the presidents and princes, they sought to find occasion against Daniel. So what did they do? Oh, Darius, they got him to sign a letter. And later we find, if you read through chapter six, you'll find that Darius soon came to regret what he had done because then he realized that he was actually betrayed by his Chaldeans and his counselors because they were offended by what Daniel said and did and that they had to report to him and that they had been working their way up and wallering their way up and and snuffing and, and just kowtowing down to the king and didn't like it because Daniel didn't do any of that. And yet he was put over all of them. They were offended. So they got the king to write this letter saying that if you didn't bow and pray at a certain time and do these things here, you're going to be tossed into the lion's den. And that once that letter was signed and sealed by the signet of the king, it couldn't be revoked. So then what they did is they set Daniel up. And then they reported back to Darius. And Darius realizing then, as it was too late, that he had to abide by the law that he signed and couldn't be revoked and had to take Daniel and throw him into the lion's den. But he liked Daniel. He liked him and he realized that those individuals set Daniel up and set him up. That really made him angry. But they took Daniel and they threw him into the lion's den. Did he waller in self-pity? Did he say, no, no, don't throw me in there. I didn't do anything. I've been a good guy. I didn't, he didn't do that. He did not. He went into the lion's den. He didn't know what to do and what to expect. But the hand and the might of God shut the lion's mouths. Instead, Daniel stood with his back against the wall that was, or the stone that was rolled in front and sealed by the signet of the king and his other counselors. And he turned to face the lions And with what small light he could see, the lions came out of their little back area and they came out of the shadow and they came, but then they just stopped. And they left and they went back. Went back in to go to sleep. And Daniel didn't, he didn't, Waller in self-pity. He didn't slump down and say, oh, what was me? What am I going to do? I should not be in here. I shouldn't have done this. Oh, none of that was going on. And then Darius, of course, Daniel went down. He went to sleep. He didn't eat anything. And uh, But then Darius, <laughs> he couldn't eat. And he couldn't sleep because he felt very badly about what had taken place with Daniel. And he he liked Daniel, he respected Daniel because he could see that the light of God was in Daniel. 
and that when he came back down in the morning and he hollered into the den and he said, hollered into him, he said, Daniel, as we find in verse 20 in chapter 6, and when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said, Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to deliver thee from the lions? Daniel said unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent the angels and hath shut the mouths of the lions for me. No, have not hurt me. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. Then the king said, ordered and commanded and they brought those that came and accused Daniel falsely, by the way. And they threw their family, every, everybody that was with him, tossed him in. And they were, of course, trying to convince Darius that the lions had been fed right before Daniel was thrown in there. Well, when they got thrown in there, that was proven not to be true. And the lions fell on them before they even lit down, were able to stand up and gain their composure and figure out what they were going to do so the lions didn't come. They were set upon by the lions and they were torn apart and devoured. All of them. So the lions didn't have full tummies when Daniel was put in there. They were held at bay by the might and power of God. And Daniel did not waller in self-pity. He did not sit there against the wall and cry about, oh, I shouldn't be in here. Poor, poor, pitiful me. None of that was taking place. He was standing bold. Bold. And as we stand with boldness, courage, and faith in God our Father, Our strength is grown. It will increase. So don't waller in self-pity. Oh, I wanted to do that for the church. They chose them over me. I'm not worthy to do anything in the church now. I can't pray right. I can't worship right. I can't do this right or that right or anything right. So I'm just, I'm just going to sit down here and eat this can of worms and I'm just going to pour, pour, pitiful me. That was a song that we used to sing when, when I was a kid. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go eat worms. What did that mean? That translated to self-pity, self-loathing. Nobody likes me. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to do that. What we need to do is stand up boldly. Don't step down in cowardice, don't step aside in compromise, don't be confrontational. And here's the thing that, that when you read through when you read through the book of Daniel, nowhere, nowhere, nowhere 
did they become confrontational, put their hands on anybody else? Everybody else was putting their hands on them. But they not one time raised their hand to fight back. They not one time laid down in self-pity, crying and wallowing. And this comes back to the Old Testament that I shared with you when Jesus Christ was in the garden. He wasn't wallowing in self-pity and all this stuff. He just, he was, and Jesus was praying so fervently there, by the way, that he burst the blood vessels in his facial area, in his forehead, in his brow. They burst and he was bleeding. Blood came out from his sweat. Scripture talks about that. But Jesus Christ did not lay down in self-pity and he just talked to God. He said, God, if there's any way to take this cup from me, the man part of Jesus Christ, the man part of Christ anointed of God, Jesus, the only begotten son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, the man part of him was, man, this is some really heavy burden Father, if there be any way that this doesn't have to happen. But then he said, thy will be done. What you want, I want, Father. Three times he prayed for the cup to be lifted. And three times he told God that he would do it. Understand this too, brothers and sisters, that Jesus Christ was not crucified like other people do. That crucifixion that Jesus Christ went through when they drove the spikes through his hands and his feet. That was cruelty. That was beyond. That was what they that was the absolute corporal crucifixion. Normally what people were when they were put on the cross, and they even had platforms underneath their feet. And they were bound and they were tied to the cross. And they were just left out there for days until they absolutely became so weak and starved and depraved from thirst or food or anything that they starved to death and they started to go. And then at the very last and their weakest, the Romans were, were ordered to go back and check on them and they would break the bones in their legs. So now they had no way to push themselves up and keep breathing. But not so with Jesus Christ. Because of the words of the prophet, he was nailed to the cross. He was crucified in a much more horrendous way by the Romans than what they normally do. So Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross and put up there. And when he cried out, remember, he thirsts. And what did they do? They took, a, they took a hyssop on the end of a staff and they dipped it in vinegar and they put that up in his mouth. Vinegar. But then here's the important thing too. And I kind of think that this was... Uh, that this centurion might be the one that later on went to Peter too and, and remember that there were some issues later in the book of Axel. We can find that. I think his name was Cornelius. But remember that when Jesus Christ cried out and he gave up the spirit, that there was a centurion there. Doesn't say his name then and there, but I believe it may be Cornelius who met with Peter at a later time. But this centurion looked up and he said, truly, this was the son of God. So even in his crucifixion, coming from me and whoever else listens and hears the word, 
the spirit was moving and touching people and it touched that centurion. Brothers and sisters, be blessed, be courageous, be bold and be upright. No confrontation, doesn't have to happen. Just be bold and truthful and honest and no self-pity. Have a blessed day.